Salon de Provence, France, 1626. Inside the town's chapel, several workmen labored in silence. The air was thick with tension because the grave they were disturbing belonged to Nostradamus. France's most famed physician, astrologer, and prophet, Nostradamus's visions of the future were startlingly prescient. Some claimed he'd studied the occult in the far reaches of Eastern Europe. Others said his skills came from Satan himself. But everyone agreed that his powers were formidable. These men were tasked with reinterring Nostradamus at a new, larger church in town. But before his death, he'd made the people of Salon swear his grave would never be disturbed. Now, these men were breaking that promise and risking the prophet's wrath. As they unearthed Nostradamus's body, one worker noticed his corpse clutching a brass plaque. Curious, he held his lantern high to read what it said. But before he could repeat it to the others, the man dropped his light and ran from the chapel in pure terror. Shocked, his compatriots leaned forward to read the words for themselves. Written on that brass plate was Nostradamus's final message. It called the people of Salon wicked and unfaithful for breaking their promise, and it was engraved with the exact date and time they had uncovered his body. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on Nostradamus, the 16th century French physician, astrologer, and prophet. He made hundreds of predictions which allegedly foretold events like the Great Fire of London, the French Revolution, World War II, and possibly even the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, we'll examine the life of Nostradamus, from his humble beginning as a traveling apothecary to his time as a royal advisor to the French court. His ability to predict the future made him a celebrity, and hundreds of years after his death, Nostradamus remains a household name. Next time, we'll explore several conspiracy theories surrounding Nostradamus. We'll debate the accuracy of his predictions, as well as his methods. Although some people wonder if he ever had visions at all, there are many who believe that Nostradamus was nothing more than a con man. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain, but luckily, Terminix can help. 
Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In the 16th century, France was in a constant state of tragedy and uncertainty. The bubonic plague ravaged the country, seemingly at random. Without modern medicine, physicians of the time were unable to cure their patients, let alone understand what caused their illness. Consequently, waves of the disease swept through cities, leaving thousands dead each time. Meanwhile, Europe was in the throes of the Holy Inquisition. During this time, the Catholic Church was determined to root out heretics and enemies of Christianity. Anyone could be brought before their inquisitorial courts with little to no evidence. Those found guilty were at risk of losing their land or even their lives. For the French people, the future seemed bleak and unpredictable. They needed a hero someone who could warn them of disasters before they ever happened. That person was Nostradamus. Nostradamus wasn't always the famed prophet we know him as today. He was born Michel de Nostradamus in 1503 CE. His family was historically Jewish, but his grandparents had converted to Catholicism to avoid persecution. Very little is documented about Michel's early life, although we do know that he was one of nine children, and early on, he was recognized as being exceedingly bright. Michel's grandfather, Jean de Saint-Rémy, believed he had potential as a scholar, so when the boy turned eight or nine, 
Jean tutored him in Greek, Latin, mathematics, and astrology. During that time, astrology, the study of how celestial bodies interacted, was a respected scientific discipline. The common belief was that all people were linked to the stars, and studying the night sky gave them insight on earthly matters. An astrologer could make predictions for someone by casting their horoscope based on the date, time, and location of their birth. Depending on where certain planets and stars were in the sky on their birth date, they could also predict someone's personality, allegedly even their future. For instance, modern-day astrologers have calculated Nostradamus's horoscope. He is thought to have been born on December 14th, with the Sun in the zodiac of Capricorn and Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn in Cancer. Supposedly, this combination results in an individual more inclined to study the occult and mystical. In this case, Nostradamus's horoscope was very accurate. Jean de Saint-Rémy is also thought to have introduced him to Kabbalah, an ancient form of Jewish mysticism. Kabbalists believed in a mystical interpretation of the Bible. Early Kabbalistic texts describe how the names of demons and angels could be used to accomplish feats of magic. With the proper training, these names would essentially become like magic spells, allowing the practitioner to, say, heal someone or subdue another's will. During this time, studying Kabbalah was considered dangerous and risked invoking the wrath of the Catholic Church. As a teenager, Michel segued his penchant for learning into pursuing a more practical profession, medicine. Around 1517, he enrolled at the University of Avignon in southeast France. Unfortunately, shortly after he began his studies, Avignon was ravaged by the plague. The university shut its doors as thousands in the city grew sick and died. Michel had to forge a new path without a university degree. But instead of running from the plague like many around him, he became a traveling apothecary, confronting it head-on. In the 1500s, apothecaries were healers that moved from town to town, dispensing herbal remedies to the sick. They acted like pharmacists, filling prescriptions written by physicians. But they could also design and sell their own concoctions. Their services were invaluable to peasants who couldn't afford a doctor's costly fees. For the next few years, Michel traversed France, treating the poor and plague-stricken. During this time, he learned a lot about the symptoms of the bubonic plague and how ineffective most treatments were at the time. Physicians in the 1500s were unaware that bacteria or viruses existed. They believed illness was typically caused by unbalanced humors. The treatments they prescribed were aimed at restoring equilibrium to their patients. This idea of humors dated back to the Greek physician Hippocrates. In 400 BCE, he claimed that the body contained four liquids, or humors, that were usually in perfect balance. These included blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. An individual became sick when they had too much of one fluid. Treatments for the plague included the withdrawal of blood, sometimes involving leeches. This was meant to restore balance to the body. 
Unfortunately, these methods rarely worked and instead just weakened patients, sometimes leading to death. Michel distinguished himself by using new hygienic methods instead of these traditional treatments. For instance, he reportedly noticed that when the body of a plague victim was disposed of quickly, their family usually didn't get sick. Compared to when a body was kept in the house while they grieved and mourners later contracted the disease, he advised people to bury their dead quickly. Michel also created a new herbal remedy called the rose pill that supposedly warded off the plague. It was made from various herbs, including rose hips, a formula he claimed that was superior to what other physicians prescribed. The pill became a popular remedy amongst French peasants. Centuries later, the medical community realized rose hips actually contained vitamin C, which boosts the immune system. This was just another way Michel was ahead of his time. Around 1522, Michel had enough of the apothecary lifestyle. He enrolled at the French University of Montpellier, one of the oldest and most prestigious schools in the world. There, he hoped to earn his medical degree and be taken seriously as a healer. While apothecaries were an important part of medieval society, they were considered a manual trade, meaning that physicians, who often came from noble families, looked down on them. They considered anyone who'd been an apothecary to be soiled and incapable of becoming a real doctor. Michel tried to hide his past, but eventually the truth came out. A university administrator learned that he'd spent years as an apothecary, They then revealed Michel's shameful past to the rest of the faculty. Sources disagree on what happened next. Some believe that Michel was expelled in disgrace, but others claimed he was only disciplined. We can't say for certain, given that there are no credible records of his life for the next three years. But we think it's safe to assume that Michel remained a student and received a thorough medical education at Montpellier, His grandfather's early lessons in Greek and Latin likely helped him decipher ancient texts on anatomy and physiology, and his childhood astrology lessons were also extremely valuable. According to 16th century scholars, a physician without astrology was like a blind scribe. The ability to chart the night sky was an invaluable skill because horoscopes weren't only used by astrologers to identify someone's personality, Doctors also used them to diagnose an illness. At the time, a person's ailments were thought to be tied to their zodiac sign. For instance, if a person's sign was Aries, it meant they were predisposed to headaches, migraines, and eye problems. Those born under Leo were prone to heart palpitations and back problems. Memorizing the zodiac and their effects on the body was mandatory for all medical school students at the time. By the mid-1520s, it's believed that Michel graduated from the University of Montpellier as a licensed physician. And for many medieval scholars, it was tradition to Latinize their names. So Michel de Nostradam became Nostradamus. Post-graduation, Nostradamus returned to the fight against the plague. Now that he was a certified physician, his methods were taken more seriously by his patients and his peers. 
the people he treated supposedly had a higher survival rate than the disease's average victim. And because of that, his fame grew, as did the demand for his services. In 1531, he'd accumulated enough money to support a family. He settled down in the town of Agen, France, married and had two children. But soon, the disease found its way to his own doorstep. While on a medical trip to Italy in 1534, the plague swept through Agen. His wife and children reportedly contracted the disease and died before Nostradamus could return home to say his goodbyes. News of his family's death spread quickly. But this wasn't just a personal loss. It was also a stain on Nostradamus's reputation as a doctor. If he couldn't protect his own family from the plague, how could he protect the rest of France? People lost their faith in the formerly esteemed physician. Fewer patients clamored for his help. But then things got worse. Nostradamus also ran afoul of the Catholic Church. In 1538, Nostradamus became embroiled in a heretical scandal. He allegedly made an irreverent remark about a statue of the Virgin Mary. While the specifics are unknown, insulting the Virgin Mary was sacrilege. Under Catholic law, this was both a sin and a major crime. Someone reported the comment to the inquisitorial court, Nostradamus was charged with heresy and ordered to report to the church's court in Provence, France. Nostradamus likely knew they wouldn't take kindly to his family's Jewish background. Even though he was a baptized Catholic, the church still believed that Muslim and Jewish converts were a corrupting influence on society. Nostradamus feared the judges would be suspicious of him from the start. It seemed unavoidable that a trial would end in his torture or execution if he appeared before the court. So, Nostradamus fled France entirely. He spent the next nine years in the far reaches of Italy, Greece, and Turkey. During his self-imposed exile, he is thought to have reconnected with the early mystical lessons of his grandfather. Little is known about this period of Nostradamus's life, Many assume that he sought out ancient texts and forbidden magical knowledge, although he did claim that during these wanderings, he experienced a psychic awakening. Coming up, Nostradamus's prophecies catch the attention of French nobility. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer. And travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case 
zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. Nostradamus was one of history's greatest seers. But before he became a legendary prophet, he was a young physician fleeing the wrath of the Catholic Church. Allegedly, one offhand comment about a religious statue forced him into exile. In 1538, he left his home country of France and journeyed to places like Greece, Italy, and Turkey. Here, libraries were filled with texts from classical thinkers like Plato, Socrates, and Galen. There were also volumes on ancient magic and the occult, subjects that were considered taboo in France. Unfortunately, we don't have many details about Nostradamus's life in exile— But we do know that this is when he started having visions of the future. During this period, Nostradamus also studied the methods of ancient prophets. The most influential was the Oracle of Delphi, which had been an important part of Grecian culture from the 8th century BCE to 400 AD. The oracle was a title given to a priestess at the Temple of Apollo, located in the Greek city of Delphi. Supposedly, Apollo gave one priestess in each generation the power to predict future events. Rulers came to her before declaring war or entering marriage. Commoners traveled hundreds of miles to seek her counsel. Over the centuries, these oracles used many different methods to divine the future, but the most common techniques were firegazing or scrying. With fire-gazing, the oracle would stare at leaping flames until a vision appeared. But scrying was more complicated. A bowl called a scrying glass was filled with water until it was as smooth as a mirror. Then, the oracle stared at the water until her visions appeared. Nostradamus adopted this method of divination and combined it with his grandfather's Kabbalah lessons— He sat in his study late at night, meditating just as the Kabbalists did, but he also incorporated a scrying glass, which is when visions of the future started to appear, and they were startlingly accurate. Nostradamus didn't always need to use the scrying glass. 
Sometimes his visions came to him out of nowhere. One of his earliest prophecies reportedly came when he visited a humble Franciscan monastery. As he arrived, a group of monks came out to greet him. As soon as Nostradamus laid eyes on one of them, he fell to his knees and grabbed the hem of the monk's cloak. Nostradamus said he had no choice but to kneel in front of His Holiness. He explained that he just received a vision that this monk named Felice Peretti would one day become the Pope. Peretti and the other monks weren't sure what to make of this odd declaration at the time, but three decades later, in 1585, Felice Peretti was ordained as Pope Sixtus V. Nostradamus' prophecy was fulfilled. In 1547, after nine years in exile, the 44-year-old Nostradamus believed that the inquisitorial courts had forgotten about his indiscretion. He decided it was safe to return home to France. And he was right. The church no longer had a warrant out for his arrest. They allowed Nostradamus to live in peace, provided he didn't cross them again. Nostradamus settled down in the small French town of Salon. He remarried and prepared for a quiet retirement. But a budding opportunity threw him into the national spotlight. In the 16th century, short pamphlets called almanacs became extremely popular in Western Europe. They were usually written by astrologers and predicted things like the date of the summer and winter solstices, which were extremely important to the French peasants. The summer solstice was the longest day of the year, and the winter solstice was the shortest. Knowing when these days occurred helped farmers estimate the best time to plant and harvest their crops. These almanacs included other information such as tide tables, weather predictions, and even news about current political scandals or wars. They were basically message boards or newsletters before the internet. Not to mention, they were cheap to produce and extremely lucrative for their authors. So in 1550, Nostradamus decided to write and publish his own almanac. At 47, he was getting too old for the taxing life of a traveling physician. He hoped that this extra income would help him support his family. By this time, Nostradamus was an expert astrologer. It was simple for him to calculate the solstices and other important astronomical dates. But he added something else to his almanacs that no other author could. His prophetic visions. We don't know exactly what Nostradamus's first almanac predicted. No original copies have survived. But we can assume that whatever the prophecy was, it may have come true, because the response was overwhelmingly positive. Nostradamus went on to publish around 10 more almanacs, each edition more popular than the last. And his fame grew outside the borders of France, spreading all throughout Europe. Nostradamus quickly realized that people were mostly buying his almanacs for his predictions. So, in 1554, he announced he was going to write a ten-volume compendium of his visions called Centuries, or The Prophecies. When his magnum opus was completed, there were 1,000 prophecies in total, allegedly describing the next 2,000 years of human history. 
But Nostradamus was reminded of his last altercation with the Catholic Church. If a seer's prophecies were too accurate, they were often accused of practicing black magic. One snide comment about a religious statue sent him into exile for nearly a decade. If he was accused of using forbidden magic, the consequences could be far worse. Nostradamus needed to disguise his prophecies. This way, if the church investigated him, he could defend himself and prove he had nothing to do with black magic or Satan. First, he wrote that his visions came from God, although as a practicing Catholic, it's possible he really did believe this. Second, he only wrote about his visions in short four-line poems called quatrains. They were purposefully ambiguous descriptions of what Nostradamus saw, almost like riddles. A group of 100 quatrains was called a century. The quatrains were not written in chronological order and rarely included a specific date. This gave him plausible deniability if he were ever dragged in front of the inquisitorial courts. If a tragedy occurred and the church blamed him for it, Nostradamus could retort that the event he predicted simply hadn't happened yet. It was difficult for people to decode some of his quatrains. Understanding them became more art than science. For example, Century 1, Quatrain 67 reads, The great famine that I sense approaching, often changing direction, then becoming universal, so great and so prolonged that from the tree the root will be torn and the infant from the breast. In this quatrain, Nostradamus clearly foresees a great famine, but he left the specifics of where and when out on purpose. If questioned by the church, it would be easy for him to describe it as a warning from God as opposed to knowledge from the devil. This strategy to avoid persecution from the church worked. He was never formally accused of witchcraft or sorcery. It's possible that the inquisitorial courts couldn't make heads or tails of his prophecies. Or perhaps they knew that Nostradamus was too important to arrest. By his later years, he gained many supporters among the people, as well as the nobility. One of his greatest admirers was the Queen of France herself. In 1555, Queen Catherine de' Medici read one of Nostradamus's almanacs. It prophesied a looming threat against the royal family. Supposedly, a group of men were planning an attempt on the king's life. Catherine had a lifelong fascination with astrology and the occult. She immediately took Nostradamus's warning to heart and summoned him to Paris. The invitation was an honor, but not without danger. Before embarking on the trip, Nostradamus cast a horoscope for himself. While we don't know the details of what he saw, the results frightened him. He allegedly confided in a friend that he was in great danger of having his head cut off before the 24th of August. Despite this ominous warning, Nostradamus couldn't ignore a royal invitation. When he arrived before Queen Catherine, she asked that he cast horoscopes for her children, which he did. However, it seemed that Catherine's husband, King Henry II, wasn't as enamored with the famous astrologer. In a letter to a friend, Nostradamus reportedly claimed that one night in Paris, an anonymous lady of great nobility came to his chambers. 
She warned him that several legal and religious authorities were planning to arrest him. They wanted to know the methods he used to make his predictions. Heeding the warning, Nostradamus left the city the next day. Luckily, this mysterious group never pursued him, and he returned home safely. Still, Queen Catherine took Nostradamus's warnings to heart. We don't know what she did with the horoscopes, but her husband wasn't assassinated as Nostradamus feared. Maybe this vision helped Catherine change the king's fate. It seems she'd also convinced Henry that Nostradamus wasn't a danger, but instead their greatest asset. A few years after his visit, Queen Catherine made Nostradamus a counselor and physician of the king's court. He even dedicated one of his almanacs to the queen and supposedly made her a talisman for protection. He also wrote several prophetic quatrains that referenced the royal family, often including ways to keep the family safe, but others were far more ominous. While King Henry had avoided death in 1555, Nostradamus had another vision about the monarch's fate. This one wasn't so easily averted. Century 1, Quatrain 35 reads, The young lion shall overcome the old, on martial field in single combat. In a golden cage his eyes will be put out, two into one, then to die a cruel death. In 1559, King Henry jousted a young noble in a tournament. A lance pierced the golden cage of the king's helmet and struck his eye. The wound became infected, and Henry died in agonizing pain ten days later. It certainly sounded like the cruel death Nostradamus predicted. This prediction launched Nostradamus's career into the stratosphere. Nobles in the French court began consulting his prophecies frequently. And when Henry's son, King Francis II, died at only 16 years old, it was connected to another one of Nostradamus's prophecies. Now, having accurately predicted the death of two kings, Nostradamus seemed omnipotent. He was one of the most famous men in France, possibly the world. But as his fame grew, the interpretations of his prophecies became darker. He predicted massive tragedies that would occur hundreds of years after his death. It's possible he may have even predicted the end of the world. Coming up, history's greatest disasters may be hiding in Nostradamus's prophecies. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now back to the story. From his humble beginnings as a lowly apothecary, Nostradamus's prophetic abilities rocketed him to stardom. He became a close advisor of the French monarchy, and his writings were seen as gospel. His fame was so great that a massive counterfeiting industry sprung up throughout Europe— By the 1560s, dozens of fake almanacs were released under his name. It took a discerning eye to tell the difference between one of Nostradamus's works and that of a fraud. But Nostradamus wasn't bothered by these knockoffs. He was making a very comfortable living off of his own almanacs, prophecies, and royal favors. He became a modern oracle of Delphi— Experts pored over his predictions and attempted to guess what disasters Nostradamus had seen. A single word from the seer could change political opinion. It could clear a criminal of guilt or condemn a man to die. Nostradamus was careful not to abuse the power he wielded. Despite these otherworldly abilities, Nostradamus was a mortal man. By 1565, he was 62 years old and his health was failing. He suffered from gout, a form of arthritis affecting the joints, which made it painful for him to move. As fluid built up around his body as a result of complications, his heart struggled under the strain. It didn't take a prophetic vision to realize that his end was near. Nostradamus called a lawyer to draw up his will— This document illustrated that his fortune-telling had been extremely profitable. Soon after the will was completed, Nostradamus made his final prediction. On the evening of July 1st, 1566, he allegedly told his secretary, You will not see me alive at sunrise. He was right. The next morning, Nostradamus's body was found on his floor. His heart had finally failed. In death, he was interred at the Franciscan chapel in Salon. The epitaph on his tomb read, Here lies the bones of Michel de Nostradam, unique among all humanity in being judged worthy, whose near-divine pen described the future happenings of the whole world as influenced by the stars. Yet even centuries after his death, Nostradamus's prophecies never went out of print, In fact, the myths surrounding him only seemed to grow, as did the shadow he cast over history. Urban legends about Nostradamus spread like wildfire. Supposedly, the workers who exhumed his body in 1626 found him holding a plaque that predicted the exact date and time his grave was disturbed. Another legend claimed that his body wasn't moved until the French Revolution in 1789. Supposedly, revolutionary troops broke into the chapel in Salon and scattered Nostradamus's bones. They viewed him as a servant of the French monarchy they'd just overthrown. 
One overconfident soldier even dared to drink out of the infamous seer's skull. Allegedly, the soldier died a horrible death a short time later. So the rest of the men reinterred Nostradamus at another church, where his bones still remain undisturbed to this day. What's most startling is that hardly a century goes by without a major disaster being attributed to a Nostradamus prophecy, the earliest of those being the Great Fire of London in 1666. The disaster began on September 2nd, when a fire broke out in a bakery in the city. The small blaze quickly turned into a raging inferno. Within four days, it destroyed 13,000 residential homes, 87 churches, and left 70,000 people stranded. Only six deaths were recorded, but it's likely that many more perished in the flames. There were no accurate records of the population at that time, and the fire burned so hot it could have incinerated bodies, leaving nothing but ash and fragile bone fragments. No one saw this tragedy coming except for Nostradamus. In his compendium, Prophecies, Nostradamus wrote, The blood of the just will commit a fault at London. Burnt through lightning of twenty-threes the six, the ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. Since twenty-threes plus six is sixty-six, many believe this is a reference to the year of the fire. 1666. Many of the buildings destroyed were in the oldest parts of the city, dating back to the Roman Empire, meaning the, quote, ancient lady of London had fallen. Similarly, Nostradamus is also credited with predicting the French Revolution in 1789. He wrote, From the enslaved populace, songs, chants, and demands, while princes and lords are held captive in prisons, these will, in the future, by headless idiots, be received as divine prayers. During the revolution, the peasant class, or enslaved populace, rose up and demanded rights from the monarchy and nobility. And when the revolution turned bloody, the guillotine turned those prisoners into, quote, headless idiots. Even more modern events, like World War II, can supposedly be found in Nostradamus's quatrains as well. One reads... From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people, he who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. Many believe this is a reference to Adolf Hitler. He was a, quote, young child born of a poor people. In the 1930s, many Germans were impoverished and struggling to recover from the First World War. With his famously bombastic speeches, he convinced the German people, or seduced a great troop, to support his Nazi party. Nostradamus is even believed to have predicted the 9-11 terrorist attack. He wrote, Earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth will cause tremors around the new city. Two great rocks will war for a long time. Then Arethusa will redden a new river. For a prediction made in the 1500s, the details do seem remarkably similar to the 2001 tragedy. But we must also acknowledge that none of Nostradamus's prophecies have been connected to an event before it happens. His supporters can only link a quatrain to a disaster retroactively. Which does raise some interesting questions about his work. 
In the next episode, we'll take a closer look at Nostradamus' story and decide how much was fact, how much was fiction, and how much was something even more inexplicable like magic. Conspiracy theory number one is that Nostradamus used occult methods to see the future. Some claim he didn't use the stars or a scrying glass to make his predictions. Instead, he may have used an ancient art known as bibliomancy. Conspiracy theory number two is that Nostradamus' prophecies were genuine. We'll dive more into the evidence around his predictions for events like the Great Fire of London, World War II, and even the COVID-19 pandemic. And finally, conspiracy theory number three, that Nostradamus was a fraud. His critics claim that he knowingly conned Queen Catherine and the people of France. Nostradamus was a defining figure of the 1500s. His advice influenced the most powerful people of his time. Even today, whenever a calamity befalls the world, his supporters rush to his prophecies. And every time, they conclude that Nostradamus had predicted it. The future is just as murky, intangible, and mysterious to us as it was to his 16th century readers. It's possible that one day we'll be able to fully decode his works, maybe even identify a disaster before it happens. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with part two of Nostradamus. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Evan McGahee, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Bradley Klein and Brian Petrus. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 